We're in the sixth chapter of the book of First Corinthians. As we make our way through these uh, verses of Scripture, one more time I'll say that on Sunday evening we work from a worksheet doing um, a Bible study verse by verse of God's Word. So if you need one of these, if you don't have one, you need one, lift your hand. Kevin has his. <laughs> Clarence is taking credit for it. He said he made him... book of 1 Corinthians is divided into two sections. The first section is chapters 1 through 6, and they deal with specific sins. And the remaining part of the book is a response to a letter that the Corinthians had written Paul. You can see, beginning at verse 7, now concerning the things about which you wrote. And so he responds to their inquiry to him. But chapters 1 through 6 have been where we've been focusing for the last several weeks. Paul's dealing with specific sins. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you've been here all along, you, you're thinking, well, you skipped verses 1 through 11 of chapter 6. I'm still working on that sermon. That, that is to sue or not to sue. And I plan to preach that when I know all the attorneys and judges are out of town I, <laughs> on some uh, bar convention. <laughs> Just kidding, though you guys on TV. But I am still working on that sermon. I hope to have it ready by the end of the study. But it is a tough one, I'm gonna promise you. So I want to start at verse 12 and deal with this specific sin that, have to do, that has to do with sins of the body. And I want us young folks to hang in there and listen up because I'm talking primarily to youth. Eight times in nine verses, the same term appears. It's the word body. And so what he's doing is God is telling us that the main theme of what he's dealing with here has to do with the specific sin, specific sins of the body. Now you can't appreciate what he's about to say in this passage if you think about it in, in the mindset of the Western culture. If you look at this from as a citizen of the West, you're not gonna really appreciate what he talks about here because he's writing to the Greek who lived, of course, in the Greek culture with the Greek lifestyle and the Grecian concept of the body was totally different from ours. They looked upon the body as a corpse. It was a code word, as a matter of fact, to the Greek the body is, the corpse is the code word for body. And one philosopher talks about 
the human being as a poor soul shackled to a corpse so that the body was not that important to the Greek. I mean, not important in the sense of, of esteeming it. In The body was, um, was mortal. It, it was not immortal as the soul, you see. The soul is what's important. And it, and it uh, bred two attitudes or two concepts. One was strict, rigorous asceticism. They starved their bodies. They tortured themselves. They beat themselves. I mean, the body is evil. The soul is, is good. The spirit is, 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 is good. So what you do is you, you torture your body because it's evil. The second attitude was what is called Epicureanism. Epicureanism is eat, drink, and be merry because the body's bad anyway. You know, it doesn't matter what you do with the body. Your spirit, your soul is good. Now, it doesn't uh, take a Phi Beta Kappa to figure out which one would be better for a guy to choose. I mean, it didn't take long for these Corinthians to know that it's a lot more fun to party than to torture your body. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot more fun. Uh, it's a lot more fun to party than to starve yourself. And so the, the whole lifestyle of Corinth was permeated with the Epicurean philosophy. I mean, your body is, is bad and, it's, and you're a dichotomy. You're a soul and body and your soul is immortal. It's gonna live anyway and it's good. You just do what you want to with your body. So these Greeks loved it when the Apostle Paul spoke on liberty. I mean, they just loved when he preached on freedom and liberty. So when he began this, this, this sermon um, in verse 12, all things are lawful for me. I mean, there was this resounding amen. I mean, they liked that. That's my kind of preaching. I mean, if I was a Greek, for a guy to talk to me about everything's lawful to me. I mean, that's my kind of preacher. He's my kind of man. And so they just got in there good with him. But what is New Testament liberty? What is New Testament liberty? Liberty is freedom. It means to be free. Liberty has to do with being delivered from slavery. In the New Testament, however, Liberty was being freed from something to something. I want you to get that. New Testament liberty is to be freed from something to something. So that the New Testament Christian, the Christian, was one who was freed from the old master, Satan, in order that he might serve the risen Christ who indwelled him. And this kind of idea or uh, theology is described in Galatians 5.13. That's what that verse says. It says, for you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity of the flesh, but through love serve one another. You're not free to do as you please. Indeed, a man who is outside of Jesus Christ does not know liberty. I mean, the lost man of all men is in bondage to his own nature 
What he's saying is that you're, in, you're at liberty in Jesus Christ to live it up within the confines of his will. Just remember that. Now, we're gonna establish what we're coming after, uh, the direction we're headed. What is New Testament liberty? What does it mean to be free? It means that you're free to live as you will within the confines of Jesus Christ and his will. Now, he says that there are two restrictions with regard to my liberty. Now, now you need to hang in here with me, verse 12. Two restrictions with regard to freedom. Young people, hang in there and watch this. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. The first restriction to liberty, to freedom, is the restriction of expediency. Not all things are profitable. Now, that word profitable is a combination of two Greek words, sum thero, and it means together lift up, together lift up, with, lifting up with. And it's the idea of lifting up your brother. Now, now, now this is what he says. There are some things as a Christian I can do but if I do them, it will not lift up my brother. It will not lift up my brother. And it's closely related to the, to the word edification in the New Testament. I did a little study of that a while back in light of my noon Bible study, business men's Bible study, and I found this thought, I found this truth, that, that the concept of edification or building up is a favorite theme of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. And, and everywhere you find the idea of edification in the New Testament, it's always associated with its opposite. That is, you're either building somebody up or you're tearing them down, but there's no neutrality. Now the Apostle Paul is saying this, I cannot live selfishly. I cannot live unto myself. I've got to consider what this sin, what this liberty, what this freedom, what this thing is I'm engaged in is going to do to my brother. Is it gonna build him up or is it gonna tear him down? There's no neutrality. Now I'm not free to do anything that's gonna tear my brother down. Young people, you're not free to do anything that's gonna harm your brother. Now I know it's hard to um, live uns unselfishly. I mean, we're born selfish. It's difficult for me to you know, I, I'm here and you're there and here is always more important to me than there. And it's, more, it's pretty difficult to live my life on the basis of there, on the basis of where you are because what is important to me is where I am. Now the Apostle Paul is saying that you have freedom in Christ. This goes for everybody, not just young people. But you must understand that you're not free to do anything that does not edify, build up. Expediency. The second restriction on my liberty is found there in verse two. It says, not only are all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Underline anything. I will not be mastered by anything. He's saying I refuse to be unable to control any area of my liberty. I'm not going to be enslaved by anything. 
Now, when a person says, I want to have my own way, he becomes a slave to that. What's that? Having his own way. When a person says, I'm free to do my own thing, he becomes a slave to that. What's that? His own thing. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. I want the privilege of choosing who my master is. I'm going to have some master, and I'm going to, I want the privilege of, of choosing my own master because I want to be free within the confines of my master. When you're enslaved you're, uh, to a habit, you're, you're, you're absolutely bound by that habit, that indulgence, etc. So that there are those two restrictions. Now, he sets, he establishes the purpose of the body. This, this thing here, this beautiful thing it's in this blue suit, this, the, the purpose of the body. Now remember that, that the Greeks said, if you're hungry, eat. I'm, I think I'm 99% Greek. You know, I, if you're hungry, eat. I mean, if, you, if your body's hungry, fill it. If there is a sexual desire, let it run free. If there is a, if there is a, a temptation, yield to it. That's what the Greeks said. I mean, your body's bad, let it go, let it run. Let it go free. Now, what is the purpose of the body? Now, there's some difficult verses here, and I want you to watch this. It's heavy, it's dynamite. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food but God will do away with both of them. Now, on the, on the outline, it says temporally, temporally. You, 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 your stomach is for food, and food is for the stomach, tem temporally. Now, there must be a, it must mean more than that. Now, there is a reference. What he's talking about here is, he's referring to, to, to one of two things, or, or perhaps a little both. He's referring to, to the meat that's offered to idols, and that meat was, you know, was not permitted, they were not permitted to eat this meat offered to idols. It may mean that, or it may be a reference to these um, ascetic dietary restrictions that were placed on these people who, who were strict ascetics, so that they were saying, if you eat this stuff, or if you, if you partake of this, that you eat damnation to yourself. I mean, the very act of taking this stuff will bring damnation. You'll be separated from God. You won't go to heaven, wherever that is. That's the idea involved here. And Apostle Paul says, no. Digestion is a purely physical exercise. Okay, nail that down and move to the second thought. Ultimately, ultimately, he says, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Now, watch what he's saying. He's saying that there is coming a time when there'll be no longer physical demands on, the, on one's body. There'll be no more physical demands. When, when we get to heaven, there'll be no physical demands. We'll not have the physical desires, the physical needs that we have on this earth, physical needs. He's saying a second thing. He's saying that there is going to be a resurrection of the body. 
Now, what does that say? It says to these Greeks who were saying that the body is mortal and does not, is not, immor, is not, does not have immortality, he's saying this body will be raised. What does that say? That says that this body indeed is sacred. It's going to be raised. There's going to be a resurrection of this body, and we know that, we know that affirmation because Jesus has been raised. And what he's quoting, what he's saying is the same thing you'll find, you don't have to turn to it now, in chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 and 44, where it talks about the resurrection of the body. Now I want you to look at verse 13 and study that closely. I want to show you something there. What he is saying is this. Are you, are you still with me? What he is saying is this. You need to live for the ultimates. Young people, you have a choice. You can live for the moment or you can live for the ultimate. Now there'll be some times when you'll be in certain situations where you'll be strongly tempted to do things for the gratification of the moment. There'll be times when you'll be under tremendous pressure, I promise you, to do something that satisfies the desire of the moment. You need to live for the ultimate. For example, there'll be times when you'll be confronted with a desire to satisfy a sexual desire in that moment in time. But the ultimate is that this beautiful gift of God called human sexuality is to be lived out in the confines of marriage. That's the ultimate. Now, if you live for the moment, you sacrifice the ultimate. Isn't that amazing? You can't have both. If you live for the moment in, the, in gratification of the sexual desire at that point in time, you have forfeited the ultimate, which is to have that experience in marriage for the first time. Enjoy that experience in marriage and the joys of that. There'll be times, and we talked about it tonight, I was just kind of visiting with some of the young people, that the tremendous pressure in the, in the, in, in the, in the uh, drug uh, subculture, there'll be, there'll be times when you'll be tempted to, to gratify, to live for the moment. When you do that, you sacrifice the ultimate. You sacrifice the life that's pure and good and clean. Now, lest the young people think that I'm just talking to them, I'm talking to us now. You, you listen to this. This make any sense? You and I need to live for the ultimate. I mean, most of us adults pour our time and our energy in to the, to the present, to, to, the, to, the, to the temporal, to the things that don't really count. I mean, we give our energies to making money so we can buy more junk, more things, and we, we, when we wear those out, we, we buy more and we live for the, for the moments, for, for, for the things that are not permanent. Paul is saying that, that 
that the whole structure of God, sociological and theological structure of this world is such that God has placed us here for the ultimate when this body will be raised and this new order will be established. Now, there are some things we need to know about the body. Look at these things, some facts. Now, this don't, this don't reach out and, and uh, get you by the throat, nothing will. I mean, this is, this is it right here. This is where we live. First fact, write this down. First fact, my body, that's A right up here in, under Romans 3. Kevin? There, there are some things we need to know about the body. First, my body is a physical extension of the Lord. My body is a physical extension of the Lord. Look at verse 15. Do you not know? By the way, these facts that he's establishing, there are three of them, all begin with the statement, do you not know? And there is heavy irony there because these Greeks are these intellectuals. We've already established that they thrilled with their intellectual uh, capacities, their great intellectual skills. And he said, don't, don't, I mean, you, you of all people, you intellectuals, don't you know this? Do you not know that your body is a physical extension of the Lord? Look at this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Y'all are listening to me, aren't you? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Now he's not talking about a paid prostitute. He's talking about an illicit affair as we understand illicit affairs. Then he says, may it never be. Now look, when he talks about members of the body, he's, he's, it's like your arm, your hand is a member, you know. We, we look at that word and we think about people that are parts of a group, you know, like a member of a church. It's, it's like a hand is a member of this body and the, and the eye and the, and the head and the, and the leg, etc. He said, don't you know, don't, of you of all people, don't you know that you are, you are part of the body of Christ, the physical extension of the Lord, just as Christ lived in the body of Jesus, he now lives in you, and you're an extension of him, the physical extension of Christ in the world? You're going to take the body of Christ and involve it in impurity? May it never be. And he begins, the book of Acts begins like this. The first book I wrote, O Theopolis, was in order to tell you of the things that Christ began to do and teach, began to do and teach. He just began it. 
he was just the beginning and he leaves his body here to continue out his work and we're the physical extensions of that. We're the physical extension of the body of Christ in the world now. Are you gonna take the body of Christ and involve it in ungodliness? May it never be. Second fact. My, my body is not only the physical extension of the Lord, it is the moral illustration of the Lord. Look at verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says, the two will become one flesh. But the, oh, look at verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's the idea of moral attitude with him. Now, now here's the picture. Here's a Christian who is one with Christ morally and he goes over here and he joins himself illicitly. He's saying that this is what Jesus believes and would do. When I do immoral things, I'm involved in immorality, I'm saying this is, this is the same thing that Jesus would do. May it never be. And verse 18, look at that. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Let me show you something. We have always said, I have said and you have said, sin is sin, and all the sin, all sin is the same. Verse 18 seems to say that all sin is not the same. It seems to say that all sin is the same except the sin of illicit sex. And that sin is different. It seems to say that of all sins, that sin has a uniqueness about it because you totally are immersed in that relationship and you not only involve yourself with someone else, you lose your identity in that. Now he says this is the answer. Flee immorality, run from it. I've never known anyone who had a problem with immorality that removed himself from it. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a passage that we're getting to in our Bible study on, on, Wednesday, on Fridays. Let me show you something. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to this verse. It says, But examine, verse 21, chapter 5, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Now, I've been here five years, and as far as I know, I've never preached a sermon that had anything in it about how we dress. I never have. Never have preached on against wearing sharks and all that stuff. Never have done that. But I want us to look at verse 21 of, of chapter 5. Verse 21 of chapter 5 says, 
that we should examine everything carefully and the idea there is that when you get dressed, that's, you know, that's implied, it's not, of course, in that context. You need to do it before a full length mirror and you need to examine carefully how you look. When you get dressed, who are you thinking about? When you get dressed, who are you thinking of? And he says, examine carefully how you look and abstain from every appearance that leads to evil. Now, I don't know how serious we are about the Christian life, but let me tell you what, this guy here is pretty serious about it. One last fact. My body's not only the physical extension of the Lord and the spiritual and the moral illustration of the Lord, but my body is the spiritual habitation, habitation of the Lord. Beginning at verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now, in the wilderness, God dwelt in the tabernacle. In the age of Israel, established in Jerusalem, he dwelt in the temple. In the church age, he indwells the believer, and his body becomes the habitation of God, the habitation of the Holy Augustine, or Augustine, depending on where you went to seminary, when he was 16 years old, he, he had a mistress. He lived with her for 15 years. Augustine, probably, certainly, the greatest theologian in his time, probably one of the greatest theologians. He lived with this mistress for 15 years. He fathered his son. He decided he, in the midst of this relationship with this mistress, he decided he wanted to get married to another woman. She was too young to get married. She had to wait two years. He couldn't wait two years, so he got him another mistress. He found the Lord. He was back in his hometown of Milan, in Milan, not his hometown, but the place where he found the Lord. And he saw this mistress, and he turned and fled. And this is what he said to himself. O Augustine, dost thou not know that thou dost carry God around with thee? Now, Christian friend, when that thought grips us, our lives are going to be different. Young friend and older friend, when that thought grips us, Dost thou not know that you carry God around with you? You'll be careful about where you take him. He says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Let me tell you something. That old house you own, that old house you're living in right here, this old house, you don't own it. Now I got a house in Fort Worth. I got to go take care of it. I own it over there. My, my renter moved out. You know when that guy moved in? 
When he moved into my house, you know what he did not do? I went down there and helped him move in, you know. He didn't bring a crew of painters and say, hey, I don't, I don't like his paint job. And he just start painting it, paint the shutters a different color. He didn't go inside, start taking out wallpaper and putting up new wallpaper and just hauling stuff out, bring stuff in. He didn't do that. The reason he didn't do that because it didn't belong to him. Carry him off down to the to the Tarrant County Hooskow. You know, if he do that, that belonged to some, that belonged to me. Let me tell you something. You can't go about taking doing what you want to with your house. It doesn't belong to you. What you do with this house is up to him who owns it. What you put into this mind, what you put into this body, where you take this body is up to him, not you. Somebody says, is it wrong for me to go out and do this or that? You better ask him. I mean, he's the one that owns you. You're bought with a price. And the price is his blood. And that leads us to the goal, which is this. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now here were these Greeks. They say your body is a no good thing. Doesn't matter. Paul said, let me give you a goal for your body. Glorify God. It means to elevate that's what that word means. It means to magnify. Let God be glorified in your body. That means let God be glorified in what you do. Let's pray together. Lord, we've, we confront so many heavy things. Lord, we, we, what bothers us about the Bible is not what we don't know about the Bible. What bothers us is what we do know about it. And it bothers us, Lord, to come to these heavy words and know that if they're relevant for any age, they're relevant for this one. They confront us as to where we are and what we are. And we thank you, God, that you want us to be different, special, pure, because you are pure and special, holy. And God, I pray that you'll help us not to live just for the moments, but for the ultimates, for that which is to be. Lord, I pray for this time of invitation, that our decisions tonight in invitation would glorify you who purchased, purchased us, saved us. It's in his name I pray, who gave himself for us, even Jesus. Amen. Now there are three invitations. I don't expect you to come forward and say, I'm such an immoral person. That's not the implication of this at all. The decision to confront tonight is the, the three decisions. One is, have I ever really been saved? Is this God living me? Has Jesus really come into my life? Have I really accepted Him 
and everything that he is. Would you come tonight to receive Christ? Second invitation is for you to join the church by promise of letter, by statement, however God would lead you. Third invitation, decision is, has to do with our walk with Christ and the renewing of promises in past, renewing of promises made and broken. So we're going to sing just two stanzas. I've decided to follow Jesus, and if you're coming, you'll want to come right away while we stand. Come.